Welcome back to the Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of The Indie, and this week we sat down with Roger Derling, Executive Director of the Santa Barbara Film Festival, to discuss his new book, Cinema in Flux, A Year of Connecting Through Film. My colleague Charles Donnellan and I sat down with him to get the full story on how it all came to be. At the beginning of the um, pandemic, back in March of 2020, I guess it was, right, Roger responded to his... uh, situation, all of our situations, by choosing a film every day based sort of on intuition, I think, what would address sort of what was happening or how he was feeling. And then he would watch it at home. And the next day, he would sit down promptly at 10 a.m. and write until two in the afternoon. And at 2.30, after Shannon Kelly had read the piece and done a little bit of light editing, it would go out as a uh, brief recommendation from the director of the Santa Barbara International Film Festival of something that you might want to watch because we were all locked up in our houses. And as a result, sometime in July of 2020, after some encouragement, and I'm going to take a little bit of credit because I was definitely one of the people who said this should be a book (laughs) when I was reading the emails, uh, he started to make a book out of it. And Roger, this is actually an interesting question. Now, you did that book on Roma on the the yeah. room, and and was that with Celine too? That was with Celine, and actually, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up because this amazing growing experience happened while making that book for Roma. My idea when I I got brought in to help understand the the movie that Alfonso had just done, and then we started putting this book about the making of Roma and. I knew what Alfonso loved and hired, Alfonso Caron, the director, hired me, is that I knew how to translate visuals into a book and make the book feel alive. And then so when this project, my project came around about putting this book together that was basically movie recommendations, I didn't want it just for this book to be a reference book about uh, movies. I wanted it to be a very visual celebration of movies. It's a very sensory book. It's a coffee table book. It's a reference book. It's also a very private reflection of this past year and how we were able to endure uh, my experience of how I was able to endure it through film. And this also has a timeline about the COVID year. So yeah, it's a, it's a very rich, rich visual experience. The book. And this publishing company, Asuline, they are uh, absolutely at the top of the coffee table book design world. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's not so much that it's a luxury item as that it's done with an incredible painstaking attention to the physical experience of the, the mix of images and, uh, and text. So it's a really beautiful thing and also unbelievable image range. How important those still photographers are on a film set. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they're not just screen caps. These are beautiful still images that some professional captured. It was important for me to have a progression in the book. If you see the way color as the book progresses, color is shifting. Also, I wanted an expansion, a visual expansion to happen as the book progresses because we were getting used to 
all the changes that were happening. And there was a sense of hopefulness, you know, after a year that things were moving towards some sort of resolution. There's a big section about three weeks worth of my writing was all about African-American films. And it was a reaction to the George Floyd killing. And so I spent close to three weeks, almost a month, just every day was suggesting films that helped illuminate the history of, of racism in this country. And also it was educating myself about African-American filmmakers. So the book kind of takes on this more artistic element is what I'm getting from you, where you chronicle in a timeline through movies what is actually happening in the real real day, because I know a lot of our time was spent thinking about COVID, but there were actually so many other things going on at the same time. Like you mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement and tracing what is politics, but politics through art, which so, you oh, know, yeah. looking for answers to what was happening on that day. Mm-hmm. And one, one passage, one entry is this movie called Loving, which was about the Supreme Court, you know, the loving couple that were uh, a mixed race. Mm-hmm. And And the day I wrote about that movie, the Supreme Court had just ruled about gay rights. So that happened during the day, the Supreme Court ruling a year ago. And then all of a sudden I went home and I said, let's find a film that can expand and answer questions about what was happening. The monumentality of it. When Chadwick Boseman died, you know, that day I seeked Chadwick Boseman films, Da Five Bloods, etc., and wrote about that uh, when Christopher Plummer died this past year and navigated Christopher Lloyd movies. You name it, whatever what was happening yeah. last year while we were in lockdown, it helped me process. And I've always been very passionate about understanding that specificity speaks in a universal way. So all my questioning while watching these films, I felt that people will relate to it in some way. So in your writing, do you theorize about the personal impact that the movies take on you? Or do you try to like generalize it to what the big takeaway is? What was your writing process, I guess? Carol can answer this question better than I can. um, Because I'm very self-conscious. Yes, yes, all of the above. It's personal. There's an educational component to it. Like I not only speak about the impact of the film in the particular moment that we were a year ago. But also I speak about the importance of the film, the things to look at. Some sometimes it gets really nerdy. You know, look at the look at the color changes in the film, look at the camera angles, look at the camera movement, etc. And I kind of give you a very educational a film class about how to watch that particular film. But other other times it becomes this very emotional reflection about what the movie means to me and in the context of what was happening at the time. So what, I guess my favorite thing to ask people is what was the most difficult part of the book to write for you? Whether that be the emotional, the sensory experience, was there ever a blockage? Did you ever feel like, you know, there's so much going on, how can I simply capture it into one part of a film or anything? You know, I guess what was the most difficult aspect of writing? Well, I mean, the most difficult part by, by far was the fact that I had to do 18 months of 
daily entries and and films that were reflecting that day. So, I mean, the book unfolds almost like a diary, which each day being a movie recommendation, ultimately. The fact that every day I had to write and, and churn out something, that was the hardest part. There were days that I would stare at a blank page and nothing would come out. But I felt compelled that I needed to write and sent a movie recommendation every day. And, and that was hard. It took a lot of structure and commitment. If you ever saw me at three o'clock when it was gone, I was just like ecstatic. Even if sometimes I knew it wasn't the best writing I've ever done, but the fact that I did it, I was super excited. But then the Sisyphus effect <laughs> dawned on me. It's like, oh my God, I'm so excited I got that. But tomorrow, I mean, this evening, I have to start all over again watching a film and recommending and writing tomorrow. There was a, definitely an existential aspect to this process. Yeah. One of my last questions would be is what would you hope that the impact of this book is just because it is chronicling a time through film that has been hard for a lot of us? Do you think that this book is going to be a better reflection of what people could, you know, look back and think about, you know, the politics and the art of this time when we're going to generalize it as the pandemic? What would you like people to reflect on when they look through your book? That's a very good question, Molly. And I, I think there's many things that I wish that people come out reading the book. But if I, if I can only just summarize them into one, I think is the importance of the arts in our lives. Definitely watching these films gave me a, a sense of hope. It helped me persevere. And the big realization, I've always felt this about this, is that in times of trouble, the arts get you through it. And I think that the book is a testament to that. I mean, the title of the book, it's Cinema in Flux, but the subtitle is A Year of Connecting Through Film. And that was the journey. And I, I was very careful about the connecting part because it was not only the connecting that I was going through in the sense of the films and my journey and finding inspiration and how disjointed we were because we were so isolated and we couldn't gather. And through film, we, even though we're isolating our own homes through these movie recommendations and these films, we can connect and be brought together. And I'm getting a little emotional just saying that. Mm -hmm. No, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of us look to art at this time. So it's nice to see someone who has been in this community for so long reflecting. And I think that's something that so many people will be able to read. And so it's great always having those perspectives out there. So I love that. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was important. You didn't feel compelled to read it from cover to cover in one set or for a few days chronologically. And that's where the coffee table aspect was ideal is that you could open one page and and dive in a little bit and come back to it later on, or or you can you know, take it all in. Yeah, so very cinematic, like a series of vignettes that you can just It is extremely cinematic, and I wanted it to be a total immersive, sensual experience, even to the point that <laughs> the paper quality, it's another aspect that I wanted it to be uh, not your average paper. I wanted it to be... 
even the tactile aspect of it to be involved. You know, um, all the funds for this book is for the film festival. All the sales. It'll definitely be a nice uh, souvenir to have in your home. It's a gem. It's a beautiful piece of art, the book. But at the same time, all the funds go directly to the film festival. The Dixie Fire, which has already burned around 740,000 acres of land up in Greenville, California, is yet another tragic cause of California's dry, arid, and windy climate. Brush fire season is something Californians hear a lot about, but rarely experience personally. Ethan Turpin, founder and director of the Burn Cycle Project, is here to talk about his time out in the field photographing and documenting wildfires and the immersive experience that he has been able to create through digital media. Hi, Ethan. Thanks for being here. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. This is a good opportunity. So, Ethan, how did the Burn Cycle Project come about and what did you hope the impact would be when you initially started in 2013? It came about really through growing collaboration with researchers at the Bren School at UCSB, who had the beginning of an initiative to do interdisciplinary research about big picture wildfire involving climate change, forests, and also some social science around how we perceive wildfire risk and policy outcomes based on that. And they were interested in, in doing public engagement, and I proposed an exhibit. So the first one was at the UCSB library and involved a lot of different kinds of medium and archives and maps of all sorts. From there, we got a National Science Foundation grant and we're off to the races with multimedia exhibits and interactive learning experiences having to do with, with wildfire and, and data simulations based on that. So around that time, I got a press pass. I started working at times with The Independent, actually sharing footage when I would go out to fires because I really believed that it was important to get an on-the-ground experience to help me understand and share what was going on and show that in parallel to the more uh, landscape level map view kinds of experiences we're also sharing with people. So the recent Dixie fire that began threatening communities up north is one of the more recent fires that you've attempted to capture on camera. What new equipment did you use and how do you even approach fires of this scope when photographing and videoing? I do a few different things when I go to a wildfire. Some of it is more traditional, just observing and documenting with video and photography because you don't know what you're going to see and how it's going to be useful later for communicating what's going on and for longer term projects from storytelling of different kinds to all kinds of sharing of of visual information. But really what's become a high priority for me as well that's more specialized is gathering fireproof camera box video footage, placing basically a camera within the point of view of vegetation as fire comes through and burns it. And we use these video clips as projections in what's called the Walk into Wildfire exhibit, which has traveled to many places and is now in a capacity where we can kind of pop it up rather quickly. The last exhibit we did was in Buellton this past spring. It was sponsored by the city of Buellton. They now have a, a public art commission and in collaboration with Santa Barbara County Fire Safe Council. So we, I use this footage to create this immersive experience that puts you in a place that you wouldn't otherwise want to have or be able to have. So we can learn about and really confront and then talk about what's going on with wildfire. I really believe that what I'm making in that case, I believe is an art experience for people that motivates people to 
kind of form their own relationship with the content. It's you're not being told what to think. You are really having a rich experience of your own. And from there, we tend to want to ask questions. We want to learn more. And I think that's healthy, uh, having people stay engaged with each other about where we live and the risk of wildfire. And, and in fact, the beauty of wildfire and the role of it in nature. And, and it's really just a large complex relationship that is healthy to have with wildfire, I think. Yeah. And I was looking at the videos and the pictures from your website, and it's almost like you walk into this tunnel and all surrounding you is just like what it would be like to be, say, a tree, which I think is very interesting when you're talking about climate change and the things that we can do as humans when, you know, when you don't see the direct impact, why do you think the historical aspect of recording fires is important, not only for a interdisciplinary examination, but for the future of climate change? Well, every fire is, is its own story. It's, it's quite interesting when you start to look at the details of how things start, how things play out, the communities that they effect and the kinds of landscapes and fire ecology involved. And so the more one like learns about fires, each one is this fascinating drama oftentimes. And also involving, you know, the firefighting efforts and every all those decisions that get made. So having records of that is interesting and I think also important for for learning because things are changing. Our fires are getting bigger and more uh, severe, which are not the same thing, but they are interconnected and related. And so being able to track that is helpful. And, you know, I have to say it's it's hard to take your eyes off some of these images sometimes. And that's all right. I think that it, it being engaging in this way is helpful for us in our storytelling and learning about it. Um, what's important also, though, is to not let it just be a terrifying spectacle. I think often what happens is people look at the news when there's big fires going on. And you know, I'm a part of this in, in terms of my role in the media. And it seems overwhelming because the scale of these events is much bigger than human scale. And it's important to reckon with that. And yet we live in our own homes, in our own communities. And it's important not to forget that actual fire risk is is in the particulars of, of where we are and when. And there's a lot that we can do. And I think that gets overshadowed a lot in terms of the defensible space we can create around our homes, the different measures that are very well researched and explained when we go to find that information. So working with the Santa Barbara Fire Safe Council, for instance, has been a great partnership. An explainer video basically around the updates for uh, the new zones of defensible space around uh, how to actually you know, separate your house from fire risk so that when embers or a flame front, if it were to come through, it just doesn't interface with your house as much as it would if you didn't take some basic measures. Definitely. So I guess this is my, my final question on where the burn project is going. So I know you've partnered with some great local companies, but also the U.S. Forest Service and are doing work with them. But where do you see the future of this detailing climate change through art, through exhibitions, through experiences, immersive projects? How do you think that that is going to contribute to people's understanding of fire safety and of wildfire ecology? Well, it's really exciting, like the different multimedia tools we have available to us now, they're getting less expensive and more varied in the way that we can use them. So I, I'm i excited about being able to bring these things to communities more easily, popping up experiences for people. Also, of course, there's web content like this. There's all these different ways that we can you know, share these stories and important information about 
how to better live with, with fire. And that's really the paradigm that we've entered is a more holistic sense of how we, how we just interface with the landscape. We're not just sort of showing up and building and enjoying the view. We're showing up in places that are beautiful like Santa Barbara because we appreciate nature and this is part of nature. And so that's part of the story that I want to help people understand is, is fires here and we can actually learn to live more safely with it. And we need to in order to realistically deal with, with risk. So I'm excited about you know doing things like county fairs, permanent installations and museums to like pop-up type things and, and more short-term things of all sorts. And I, what's been amazing is I, I, I mean, I created the Burn Cycle Project as just a framework and an umbrella for collaboration. And I've gotten to uh, work with all kinds of really amazing and creative people and knowledgeable people. And I'm just looking to continue that. And hopefully some of this will grow beyond what I'm involved with and, and just keep going. Well, it's amazing work. And I really appreciate you talking with me about it. You know, if people want to look at some of the projects further, Burn Cycle Project, you know, it's on Instagram at Burn Cycle Project. Same with Facebook at Burn Cycle Project, burncycleproject.com. And there's some good links in the article that the Independent put out this week that also go to the Fire Safe Council's Defensible Space video and really helpful guides for making our communities and our homes safe. I really appreciate you talking with me about this. It's amazing work. I've been looking at the installations and I'd like to go to one in person myself just to kind of experience it and, you know, understand better wildfire safety. So thanks for being here. Great. There's plans in the works. Hopefully soon that that will happen in town. Thanks so much, Molly, for taking the time. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany, host of The Indie. Tune in next week for another episode.